When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 155 of the Shock Jacques Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you with another week talking Knicks offseason. We're talking NBA Finals as well. We will touch on games four and five and look ahead to game six, which will have occurred by the time the podcast goes out. We could have an NBA champion by the time this podcast reaches your ears. We'll also talk Knicks offseason and some Knicks draft and, of course, some potential trade news and the latest on that as well. So a lot to get to, actually, on the show this week. Two quick notes. One, next week, next week, we are going to be reacting live to the NBA draft specifically the picks that the Knicks will make in particular. The way we normally do it is we react to the first 10 picks, and if the Knicks are in those 10, then we move on to the second round. But if the Knicks are not, this year the Knicks are obviously picking 11th. We will do the first 11 picks. We will react live to that, and then we will cut ahead and react live to the Knicks' second round pick. And of course, if anything happens in between there and you know, trades, moving up, moving down, those kind of things that will be included in the podcast as well. So that's how we've done it. I think the last three years, I don't think we've missed a year yet doing this podcast where we haven't reacted live to the draft. So I'm excited to do that again this year. It falls beautifully for us once again on the Thursday. It's becoming a show tradition. So I'm very excited to get that to you all next week. I'm very much looking forward to that. I also can finally share with you a bit of news. So I think I said it like three or four weeks ago that there was something in the works and I can finally share that news with you all, which is that I have joined, I guess I have further uh, expanded my role with postingandtoasting.com and I'm now going to be doing some writing on the postingandtoasting.com website alongside doing this show week in and week out. I'm very excited about that. Um, I just submitted my first article for the website just before I came on to do this show, so I'm very excited about it. I'm not sure when that article is going to come out. It was just submitted for approval, I think about an hour uh, before I started recording this. So, I'm not entirely sure uh, what the process will be like. It is draft-related. That's all I will say. But uh, I hope you guys check it out. On the website, I'll be doing one to two articles a week, uh, probably more on the one side during the off-season, but then during the season, I'll be looking to do uh, two articles a week. So I'm very excited about that, very excited to expand uh, the role here with posting and toasting. Uh, Really, I just wanted to thank Joe Flynn in particular, who helps run the site, for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I'm very excited for it. And really just, you know, more and more chances to uh, 
you know, to, to expand uh, my role and, and really interact more with you guys as well. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I've loved doing this podcast and I'm excited to get back into the writing side of things a little bit more as well. It's been a, it's been a couple of years just because of the pandemic uh, that I haven't really been able to write as consistently as I'd like. So I'm very excited to check that box off and get back to doing more of that. I'm very excited about that. So check out the articles. Uh, they'll be down uh, along with the podcast on postingandtoasting.com. So let me know what you guys think of them and and hit me up at SJ7 on Twitter. Again, is the most convenient place to find me. I'm normally uh, checking Twitter once a day, uh, it, uh, you know, max to be fair these days, uh, but uh, I will be checking Twitter more than I'll be checking a lot of other things. So that's the best place to find me at SJ7 is the place to go on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check out the articles from me and check out the articles from our great writing staff on Posting and Toasting. Com. All right, let's dive into the show's topics. We'll get to the NBA Finals and probably the second half of the show because there's a lot to get to there. There were two games to react to from the past week, and on top of that, we'll look forward to Game 6, which could be a deciding game in the series. And uh, again, you guys will know the result, but we will still dive into it uh, for the Friday because the game will be happening later on tonight on the night we record. Again, we always record on the Thursday and then post it on the Friday. So, Knicks news first, and there's some interesting fodder to look into. I, I want to say the the first thing to mention here, again, the draft is a week away, so we really should touch on the draft stuff first. And the biggest stuff going on with the draft in particular is a little bit of fodder regarding the Knicks potentially trading up. Zach Braziller, a great writer for the New York Post had an article out yesterday, I think on the Wednesday, basically insinuating, reporting that the Donovan Mitchell trade, you know, situation is a low probability for the Knicks to do anything. You know, the Mavericks could very well keep Jalen Brunson. And based on recent reports out of Dallas, that seems more and more likely that Jalen Brunson is going to continue to be a Dallas Maverick. It's not, you know, uh, impossible. It's still There's still chances for doing that. There's still a chance the Knicks could get him. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if that starts to kind of slip away from the Knicks. And basically, in Zach Braziller's latest mock draft in the New York Post, he has the Knicks trading up to get Jaden Ivey, the stud out of Purdue, a guy that I've seen as the best player in the draft and the biggest, the I guess I really should say the only player that fits the, the biggest need the Knicks have, which is the point guard position. Now, I, I said this a week or two ago, and I, and I think I've said it, if I haven't said it uh, a couple podcasts ago, I certainly mentioned it last podcast. I really don't expect the Knicks to do this. This seems a little out of character. The Knicks don't tend to, to do this very often, but there have been reports out that the Knicks love Jaden Ivey. They think he could be a great fit, but everyone's going to think that. You know, that doesn't mean the Knicks are going to to absolutely sell the farm to get him. You know, but I, I in my opinion, and again, apologies for repeating this on the podcast over and over again, but multiple people have asked me who I think the best player in the draft is, and I genuinely believe, and this hasn't changed throughout the entire 
draft process from the combine till now, I think it's Jaden Ivy. I really do. Regard like throw the positions and the needs out of it. I really do think Jaden Ivy is the best player in this draft. And I would argue that even if you could still get Jalen Brunson, trading up to get Jaden Ivy could prove to be a better move for the Knicks. Because again, Jaden Ivy is going to have a lot of years to grace this city with his presence if the Knicks were to trade up and get him. The risk for me as well, now again, Zach Braziller feels four could be the magic number here. Trading up to four would be enough for the Knicks to get Jaden Ivey. I would argue that that's not enough, potentially. Again, the, the top three picks could very easily be Jabari Smith, uh, Chet Holmgren, the big man out of Duke, and then Paolo Bancaro out of Duke, and then four would be Jaden Ivey. But there is many scenarios where Jaden Ivey goes earlier than four. Now, it's looking more and more likely that it's going to be Jabari Smith at number one, but Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro are, are not exactly locks to go two, three or whatever. They really aren't. You know, I, I get, you know, the, the biggest thing for me, I think that is in the Knicks favor if they trade up is that I really don't see Oklahoma city taking a point guard. I just don't think it's the right fit. They don't really need it. You know, OKC, has a pretty darn good point guard already in place. But the the big factor here is Houston. Because Houston could take anybody. Houston needs everything. I really would be worried about that third pick. Now, it's not impossible to see Houston, by any means impossible, taking Paolo Bancaro. Paolo Bancaro is a very good player. And I would argue he's probably the third most talented player in this draft. I think it's probably Ivy, Smith, and then Bancaro with Chet Holmgren not very far behind. But I, I really do believe that Houston could take Jaden Ivy here. This is not impossible to think. And then the Knicks would have traded up for nothing. And then you probably would have to pick, I mean, most likely, I mean, if you're going to go best player available, you almost have to take Paolo Bancaro, but then you'd maybe look at a Keegan Murray, Dyson Daniels, who's moved up quite a bit the last few weeks, Benedict Matherin out of Arizona, who other mock drafts have seen the Knicks taking as well if he falls in the draft. So the difficult part for the Knicks, right, is when you look at 11, there are a number of options for the Knicks, but none of them are as good as Jaden Ivey. None of them fit the role that the Knicks need as well as Jaden Ivey. You know, you've seen, I, I know, recently A.J. Griffin out of Duke has gotten more and more attention as potentially being the Knicks pick at 11. Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin has really gotten a lot of traction to the Knicks in recent weeks as well, although there are some mock drafts that have him going lower now in the draft. I mean, there was, I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Johnny Davis, almost every mock draft had him in the top seven. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at the draft, and this is how quickly it changes a lot of mock drafts now have Johnny Davis somewhere between 13 and 15 in that range now. It's quite a drop in a couple of weeks, you know? So I'm very concerned if the Knicks trade up here because I don't know. It's no guarantee that the Knicks are going to get that pick that they want. It really isn't. I, I really would 
I, it would be a big risk. Now, if it pays off, the Knicks get, in my opinion, again, it's from my, my, my two cents on this year, I think they get the best player in the draft. I really believe that. And a guy that could be the Knicks point guard if it works out for 10 years. And we never have to, you know, we may never have to have the, well, they don't have a point guard conversation again for quite some time. It would be pretty tremendous if the Knicks were able to get Jaden Ivey. And, and again, I, I, maybe I should have prefaced this more last week, but if you told me, and it, and it was a deal that worked for the Knicks, forget about the second round pick, forget about, you know, a couple of your, your, your key players, I would assume that, you know, Mitchell Robinson, maybe even Emmanuel Quickly, would potentially have to be part of this deal. If not, the Knicks are trading a lot of draft picks. Let's just be very clear about that. But you may have to lose a, a key player for your future on the team and a lot of draft picks to get Jaden Ivey. Would I do it? I would seriously consider it if it's a guarantee, right? If, if you're saying you're going to trade up and there's no question about it, Jaden Ivey is going to be a Nick. I would seriously consider that. I think he's that good. And I think Tom Thibodeau would be absolutely over the moon to have him. And I think they would be very, very strong partners together to help him improve as a player. And he's already got a heck of a base to work with as a basketball player in general. So when you look at that, right, that's, that looks great. But the big concern is if you trade up to four and Houston thinks, you know what? You know what? We like Jaden Ivey too. We're taking him. Then, I will say, I mean, maybe not the end of the world in this way. You still are going to get a great player and a better player most likely than you would have gotten earlier in the draft. But you just tried to hit a home run and you ended up with maybe a double out of it. Is that worth what you're giving up? You give up what you give up to get to that spot from 11. That's seven spots you got to jump. 11 to 4. And you don't get Jaden Ivey? That's not a win to me. That doesn't feel like a win. You got to get your guy if you're giving up that much. And again, we'll see. I mean, again, the, the other part of this too, to be fair to the Knicks, is if they see a deal where they get up there and they're, and they're guaranteed to get him, maybe they talk to other teams and, and their teams are saying, to be fair, we're not going to take him. If the Knicks get enough insurance they need to be like, we're going to make this happen, I think they'll do it. And if they don't, I, I, I feel like we have enough trust for now, at least the way they've dealt with tra trades and drafts in the past, where I feel like this front office would say, all right, we're not going to pull the trigger on this. We can, we'll, we'll stick with where we're at, and we'll take A.J. Griffin or Johnny Davis, or hopefully, if he drops, Benedict Matherin, someone like that, with this first-round pick. And you stay at 11, and you move on. But... I do think that the the other part of this too that should be talked about is the Knicks at some point do need that future. They do need that stability at the point guard position. Maybe because of that, because you know, if Jalen Brunson looks like it's not going to happen, you're not going to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Damian Lillard feels more and more like a pipe dream as the weeks go on. This feels like 
the best option for the Knicks to go for it. And I, I would say, to be fair, I'd give the Knicks credit if they traded up. I really would. I would give the Knicks a lot of credit if they, if they put their you-know-whats on the table and said, you know what, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. We're going to trade up. We feel like we're going to get them. And then if they get them, I mean, my goodness. I mean, the, the next week's podcast is going to be on fire. It's going to be flames next week. It's going to be ridiculous if the Knicks actually do it. But I just, I have a funny feeling they're not going to. I kind of feel like the Knicks are going to stand pat and and they're just going to probably take, you know, Matherin if he's there, Johnny Davis, or maybe in a more and more it feels like A.J. Griffin might be the, the, the pick there. I don't know, but A.J. Griffin. And then what will the Knicks do in the second round? That that becomes the big uh, talking point when it comes to a point guard or, or something like that. So it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I'm very much intrigued, as always, to see what the Knicks are going to do. I will say this as well. The Knicks have tended to have a little bit of a, um, a, a trick up their sleeve from time to time from uh, la- the last few drafts. So, you know, the quickly pick comes to mind. Uh, last year's draft, they had a, a few trades up their sleeves. So they moved around a little bit. So, but they haven't gone this big where they they say, you know what? We've looked at everybody. We've, we've got a nice board here, but we got to get Jaden Ivey. He's the only one that's worth it for us in this draft. And maybe the Knicks say, you know what? We're shoving the chips in the middle. We're going for them. I would respect the hell out of them for doing that. I really would. And again, my worry would be, well, if you only go trade up to four, you know, are you going to be able to get them? If the Knicks do it and they get them, they, they might change the franchise's history for the next decade. That's, that's what you're, you know, putting on the line. You know, you're, you're trading some of your future, for dra- you know, in draft picks and potentially in talent to solidify the most important position in the NBA for the next five, 10 years. That's the potential trade-off. Because, I, because again, Jaden Ivey's that good. Jaden Ivey is that good of a talent. So we'll see. I'm very, I'm very nervous about it, to be honest, as well, because this is a situation where, it, you know, that's that's the tough part right now about, you know, criticizing and breaking things down when it comes to sports in general, right? If the Knicks don't take the risk, right, and they let's say they end up with Johnny Davis, a shooting guard out of Wisconsin, who's a good player, right? But you, you can look at that and you can be like, oh, you know, he, he does address some scoring, but the Knicks still haven't gone for the point guard. They still haven't taken the risk, right? So you can criticize them for not, you know, being brave here. But then if they go for it and they don't get him, you could say, well, uh, what, what, you ended up with Paolo Bancaro or, you know, again, Keegan Murray or, um, or Benedict Matherin. And you just go, oh, boy, they did all that and they didn't get their guy. They got a good player, but they didn't get their guy. And even a third option, like they trade up and they get him. And then there's going to be fans saying, well, they gave up a lot. Jesus Christ. Like, is Jaden Ivey worth it? Like, is he actually the best player in the draft? So, like, no ma- to be fair to the Knicks here, right? No matter what we say, whether it's me, writers, insiders, whatever, analysts, 
the Knicks will have, there'll be doubts about it until it, there's payoff, right? That's how it goes. So I, I, that's why I'm kind of trying to balance this out by saying, listen, I would give the Knicks a ton of credit if they traded up to four, regardless of who they get, because that is showing without us having to read about it in the paper. The Knicks, the Knicks know what they need. They're going for it. And even if they were to end up with Bancaro or even Holmgren, Holmgren could end up at four potentially if Ivy gets picked earlier. You know, somebody like that, or, you know, again, someone slightly a tier down like a Murray or a Matherin, the Knicks still get one of the best players in the draft, and they said, you know what, we're not going to settle. We're going to go for it. So I think that you have to respect them for doing that, but I think you also can see where they're coming from if they don't do it. Because if they don't think that they're going to get Jade and Ivy and they have enough intel to realize they, they not, they're not going to get them, why give up what you got? Just stay where you are. You're still going to get a very good player, potentially. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I just hope that the Knicks, if they do trade up, they get Jade and Ivy. Because if you get your guy, that gives a lot of, of confidence and boost to not only your fan base but to the rest of your team to be like, wow, they, damn, they, they went up and, and got a, a stud here. They went up and got a really big time player that could be an impact guy for our team. That's the best case scenario. I think if the Knicks trade up, if the Knicks stay where they're at. There's good options. Matherin could fall to you. Johnny Davis. If he stays healthy, he's a very good player. AJ Griffin's got a lot of upside out of Duke and could potentially be a very good player for the Knicks if they were to take him. So we'll see. A lot of things can happen. But at the end of the day, you know, it's up to it's up to Tibbs, Leon Rose, and this front office to see what they're going to do when it when the chips are really down and when draft night comes around. So we'll see. Again, we'll react to it live on this show next Thursday. So tune in for that. I'm really much looking forward to it and we'll, and we'll see what the Knicks end up doing when the time comes we'll take a break when we come back game six of the finals you'll know the score but we'll talk about it will there be an nba champion by the end of thursday night and you guys will react to it friday or we'll be going back to golden state for a game seven all that more is next on the shock shock Knicks podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network I must say, as we as we start the second half of the show, th- this has been a good NBA Finals so far. I, I don't know where this one quite ranks. We, we haven't seen the conclusion yet. But this has been a very good series. I, I think from the start, I was kind of leaning Golden State to win the series. And Golden State, you know, to be fair, had game one in their grasp. It kind of looked like they were going to be okay. But to be fair, Boston in the fourth quarter, dominated them and took a one nothing series lead. Golden State thumped them in game two, as we expected, to make it a 1-1 series. But then Boston clapped back in game three. They showed that that game one was no fluke. And I thought they were the better team in game three. They looked like, it looked like it could be a series-defining game at the time. However... Golden State's won the last two, and I have to say, in very impressive fashion. I, I know at times, I mean, we'll start with game four. 
game four, I, I was very worried for Golden State. I can't, I can't front. I have to, to say, I, I wasn't entirely sure if Golden State was going to be able to answer the bell because in Boston, a game can get away from you in the playoffs very quickly. Miami and Milwaukee can attest to that. Games in Boston can very quickly get away from you. And Golden State did what they had to do in game four, and they pulled it out. One ni- I should say 107 to 97. And I'll tell you what, the difference was really what had kept the Celtics ahead in this series going against them. It was the fourth quarter. Golden State in the fourth outscored Boston 28-19 to after they kind of clawed back into it in the third. I mean, Boston's lead at the half, I think, was five or six. And then I think the Warriors had the lead in the third, at the end of the third. But it was the fourth. I, I kind of thought Boston would fight back in the fourth. Golden State dominated them in the fourth. It really was impressive. Steph Curry had an all-time great finals performance. He had 43 points. He had 10 rebounds as well. I think that might be the most impressive number for his line and four assists. And then Andrew Wiggins and Klay Thompson picked up the pieces after that. They really did. 17 and 16 from Wiggins, 18, uh, I should say 18 points for Klay Thompson. He had four big threes in the game as well. I honestly think a big part of this as well is the fact that Gary Payton, the second little glove, is that what he's called? Little glove, baby glove. I forget. He had a huge impact in just 10 minutes, I thought, as well. And Jordan Poole, he didn't shoot it great, but Jordan Poole had 21 minutes. He scored 14 points. And Kevon Looney did the dirty work. I mean, I think the only player where you look at it and you, and you go, what the heck happened to him was Draymond Green. Draymond Green had a decent stat line for the game, but had no impact in the fourth. And, and it was because of how bad he played in the third. Steve Kerr, with the series on the line, basically said, all right, Draymond, I know we normally rely on you, but you're sitting on the bench. Have a seat next to me. And it worked. (laughs) It changed the game, frankly. I mean, Draymond Green, for the majority of game four, specifically in that third quarter, was doing absolutely nothing. He was hurting the team, if anything, Draymond Green, which you very rarely say unless he's kicking someone in the you-know-whats over the years so he, the only times in the past where Draymond Green in his prime has hurt the team is when he gets technicals but he was hurting the team with his play on the court very rarely do you see that in the NBA finals from him normally extremely important a cornerstone to what Golden State does he was the opposite of that he was terrible and Steve Kerr pulled the plug it was a bold move because that's a star on your team who has helped shape shape the franchise's history. I mean, I mean that's like benching Scottie Pippen. You know, and I'm not sure Scotty would like that comparison, but you know what I mean. You know, that that's like telling, you know, Derek Fisher, hey, you know what? You know, doing that Lakers three Pete. You know what, Derek? We're gonna put we're gonna put Brian Shaw on the floor. You're done. We think Brian Shaw's gonna get it done for us, and we'll, and we'll go back to your next game. Like it's a, it's a big decision for a coach to make in the heat of battle. And to be fair to Steve Kerr, it, it was the right decision. Couldn't have been more right. 
and and the Warriors tur- turned a game that was very tight into a pretty convincing win for the for the Warriors at the end, winning by ten, where they were pretty much in control the last few minutes of the game. Very impressive. And Steph Curry again, all time great finals performance: forty three points, ten rebounds, four dimes. Very impressive from him, no question about that. So it was a two two series. Going back to Golden State for a game five. And again, I kind of thought that Boston, this would be Boston's time to strike. You know, that this would be their opportunity to really take control of the series. And it looked like they were going to do that at one point. To be fair, I I thought Golden State came out of the gates extremely strong. They didn't shoot it great. I think that was probably the theme of the night. Golden State struggled shooting the basketball pretty much all night. They really didn't have a great offensive game. And Steph Curry certainly didn't have a good offensive game. I think he only finished with, what, 16 points? But he did have eight assists. He wasn't great at times. I thought he was forcing it a little bit. But Andrew Wiggins came to the four with 26 and 13. He was great again to lead all Golden State scorers. And... Klay Thompson hit some big shots late. Jordan Poole had a big night. He was efficient as well. Gary Payton the second. What did I say? I mean, Gary Payton's return and impact in this series has changed things. There's no question in my mind about it. Having another person like that on the floor for Golden State makes them very dangerous. It really does. And Klay Thompson, again, he had 21 points, but hit 5 of 11 from 3. Crucial buckets from him down the stretch and despite going 0 of 9 from 3 from Steph Curry and Wiggins going 0 of 6 from downtown I'd forgotten about that looking back at some of the stats here Golden State with their defense frankly closed the game out in the fourth quarter and won it 104 to 94 and Golden State goes into game six and you guys will know the result of it when this comes out but they go into Golden, I should say, they go into Game 6, Golden State do, with a lot of momentum here. Because they'll feel like they didn't play great in Game 5. And they still won. You know? And they went, in, they went into Boston down 2-1 in Game 4. At times, didn't play great defensively. Won the game anyway. So they'll feel like they can go to Boston and do it again in Game 6. And I, 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 I'll tell you what, I wouldn't bet against them. I feel like I feel like Boston's chances to really take a stranglehold of this series may have fleeted them here. I feel like that they're slowly losing their grip in this series. And to be fair, I could see Boston winning game six. I, I just don't know if they could muster it up again in game seven. I, I feel like Boston's going to give it all. I really do. But I feel like Golden State has them right where they want them. And I think they'll finish the job. I really do. I think they're not going to let it slip. And I, and I feel like Boston... I, I felt like the fourth quarter, right? Because Golden State, I believe, had a 13, 12, 13 point lead at the half. Boston cut that lead to one going into the fourth. And watching the game, again, I kind of felt, oh boy. This is, the, this is Boston's chance here. They, they've got to capitalize on this. And Golden State just picked them apart, controlled the tempo of the game, made timely threes, Clay Thompson in particular, 
made some timely buckets. So did Jordan Poole. And and so did Gary Payton, the second. Very impressive. The Jordan Poole buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter also, I thought, was a crucial shot in the game. It, it kind of it kind of reminded Boston where they were playing a little bit, you know, reminding them they're on the road here. And also kind of snatched away a little bit of Boston's momentum as well. It kind of felt like... Because before that shot went in, I went, oh boy, Boston just kind of regained control of this game a little bit. And then Poole hits that shot, a crazy half-court heave, just about, I think it was just inside the, the halfway, uh, you know, the mid-court line. Then you kind of go, oh boy, hold on a minute. And then <laughs> Golden State, you know, claws it back from them. And they didn't look back. They didn't look back. They outscored them by nine in the fourth. They won it by 10. So very impressive from Golden State. I do want to mention as well, I thought Golden State did a tremendous job dealing with two things. One, they they really slowed down Boston's three-point shooting in in game five. I know Jason Tatum did very nicely from three, but Jalen Brown was 0 of 5 from three. Pritchard and White were a combined 0 of 6 from three as well. I mean, a lot of those threes that would have fallen earlier in the series didn't fall. And again, I thought even Marcus Smart, who shot it okay from the field, wasn't as big of a factor in the fourth quarter when it matters most. And that was crucial for Golden State. And they're kind of trying to make Jalen Brown into more of a ball handler instead of maybe Tatum or Smart. And it's really paying off defensively for Golden State. They're forcing Jalen Brown to beat them on volume. And that's not his game. That's just not his game. And in, if he's not efficient from the field, it almost doesn't matter what Tatum and Smart do. They need a third guy to kind of step up. And, and Golden State didn't, didn't really allow that to happen. And that's the thing. Golden State can beat you on volume because they're taking so many threes. But if Boston's threes aren't falling, they don't have a ton left to hit you with sometimes offensively. You know, then they have to. Then they need forty-five from from Jason Tatum. They need thirty from Jalen Brown if they're going to win, or they need twenty-five or thirty from Marcus Smart. They need another option to help them out. And you know, again, Al Horford not in double figures. You know, though Grant Williams had three points in sixteen minutes. He's been a guy in in previous games this postseason who's been that option. And Robert Williams, listen, he had 10 points, but that's not his job. <laughs> his job is to, is to clog the lane and be a, an absolute unit in the paint. And, and I thought even at times in game, in game five, Robert Williams was kind of taken out of the game a little bit, especially in transition and, and from the three-point line. When you get, that's what Golden State, I thought, did well with Steph Curry at times, even though he didn't play great on the whole they made, they made Steph Curry go on to switches and pick up Robert Williams or, or have Robert Williams pick him up, you know, from outside, you know, from 18 feet from the basket. Robert Williams at that point's in no man's land. He can't guard anybody from out there. He's not that mobile. So you really try to get him away from the basket and Golden State's very good at doing that. They're very good at putting together sets that can move somebody like Robert Williams away from his position and make him useless on the floor. 
You know, that was one of the, the things that Miami really had trouble with. And if, you know, looking back, if Kyle Lowry was Kyle Lowry doing what he normally does, it's a different story. Totally different story for Miami. It really is. Miami probably wins the series if they had Kyle Lowry at full strength. But it's, you know, ifs, ands, or buts, right? They don't matter. It's about the results. And it comes down now for the for the future here. Again, you guys will know the score, obviously. But game six in Boston. I mean, it, it's the biggest game in Boston Celtics history in quite some time. You know what I mean? We're talking almost 15 years here. Biggest game in Boston Celtics history in almost a decade and a half. It's that big of a game. You know, so we'll see. I, I think Boston will certainly be up for it. The crowd at TD Garden will be amazing. It always is for playoff games. But I, I, I see Golden State finishing the job. I see Golden State winning game six and winning the NBA Finals. That's my prediction. I think they have figured it out a little bit defensively with Boston. And the, the, the thing is, despite the Celtics still being very good defensively, the Warriors have found ways to win offensively, despite at times not shooting the ball great. And I don't know if Steph Curry will go off. I think he'll certainly have a good performance minimum from scoring a scoring point of view. But because you have the likes of Poole and Peyton, and we'll see about Draymond Green, but Klay Thompson has started to heat up a little bit. I kind of see Golden State doing just enough to win it. And I think that they will win the series in Boston and they will claim another NBA championship. But we'll see. Like I said, road teams in Boston in a postseason at TD Garden this year have had games get away from them very quickly. So the Celtics, you know, if, if, if you're Ime Udoka in this series, you have to hope you win that first quarter handily. Have a big first quarter. Because if you don't, I think Golden State, like that's the thing, right? Sometimes with teams in elimination games, if, especially on their home floor, if they fall behind early, it's very difficult to come back. Very, especially in basketball. Very difficult to summon the momentum to get back into a game. And Golden, knowing Golden State, when they've had these opportunities in the past, if they get the lead, very little chance they're going to give it up. So Boston's got to build somewhat of a lead here in the first half. And then from that point on, who knows? They might be the ones that dictate this. And, and then we'll he- we're heading back for a game seven in the Bay. Like that would be very, very intriguing. But if they don't, I, I think Golden State could dictate the tempo in this game, do what they've done defensively to kind of force Jalen Brown to be a little bit more of the focal point of the offense. And again, barring a crazy shooting night from the Celtics, I really think Golden State is going to be able to get this done, right? Because the other part of this too is there have been games this season, in the postseason in particular, where Boston is unplayable because they, they just make a bunch of threes and you can't stop them. But I kind of feel like Golden State, to a certain extent, has been able to find ways to control their three-point shooting and make them have to go somewhere else. And that's where Boston can really struggle offensively. Because, again, if Jalen Brown's not doing what he normally does and it's just Tatum, 
Boston can deal with that. You know, Boston can deal with just Tatum hitting them. It's when the other guys also have big nights where Boston is very difficult to deal with. And it would be amazing too, just from a neutrals perspective to see Steph Curry have an amazing game six performance and cap it off with, you know, an unbelievable flourish to what's been an incredible season for him and an incredible postseason, and frankly, an NBA finals MVP worthy performance in the finals as well. So we'll see, we'll see how it all goes down and we will talk about the aftermath of the finals right before we get into live draft coverage next week on the show. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Thank you all so much as always for listening. As always, hit me up at SJ7 on Twitter. Go to postingandtoasting.com. You can now catch the podcast there, but also you can catch some of my articles there, writing going forward on postingandtoasting.com as well. Check out the other writers on the site as well. It's a great group of writers on the Posting and Toasting site. Check them all out and really appreciate your support and your love for this podcast so much. We'll see you guys next time where we're going to react live to the NBA draft and we will see what goes down next week and where the Knicks will end up selecting and who they frankly will select as well. A lot of drama could be in store for us a week from now. We'll see you then. Until then, have a great week and we'll see you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.